This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review The Shape of Punk to Come by Refused. This is about as socialist a record as you're going to find. It is challenging. The sound of this record is great. The Shape of Punk to Come, it's like, that'd be like naming your record. This is the what the future of rock and roll will sound like. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, on this particular show, we are heading... We are... Let me, let me back up for a second. Okay. Thank you. We are tackling a... Some would call a genre-bending, shaping, or defining album, depending on your approach. It's a genre buster. It's a genre buster. I like that. And I am speaking of the 1998 album, The Shape of Punk to Come, from the band Refused. Jay, were you a Refused fan back in the day, or was this something that you came to later on? Uh, uh, I got this album about when it came out. I believe I saw the video for uh, New Noise and picked up the album about that time. We will learn in the history of the band that I believe this was their last album and some previous albums. I was not familiar and I'm still not that familiar with the early, earlier albums, but I was a fan of this one. I, like you, uh, was also a fan based on that single. I don't know that I bought the album right away, but I definitely got it soon after at some point. Like you, I am not familiar with their earlier stuff. I have just never bothered to go back and listen to it, which makes me a, a bad music reviewer, I guess, <laughs> when you think about it. I should have digested their entire catalog, but I didn't do that. I'm going to be fined by the music review police for that one. <laughs> the fines are mounting for us. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I we talked. A li- I don't know near, nearly enough Fugazi records, so I'm sure I'm going to get a hefty fine for that, too. Uh, oh, I got you covered there. I got them all. Okay, good. I probably listened to each of them once, but I've got... I got you covered. <laughs> and people are hitting stop on this episode right now. Yeah, like, what the <laughs> hell can these two say about this record? <laughs> Just wait, folks. Just wait. It's going to get good. Uh, we talked a little bit about the history of this band, so why don't we just get right into it, and let's do the history of the band. History of the band. Refused formed in, I'm going to slaughter this name, Umia. Umea, Sweden, something like that, in 1991. And there's a lot of Swedish names here, so we're going to go with the best pronunciation possible. By vocalist Dennis Lixen, drummer David Sandstrom, and original guitarists Par Hansen and Henrik Jansen, Hansen and Jansen, who were later replaced by Christopher Steen and Jan Bronstrom. Here's the fun part. They've had nine different bass players, both live and on record. (laughs) That's ridiculous. It's like being the drummer in Spinal Tap. So their first album came out in October of 1994. It was called This Just Might Be dot 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 The Truth. And then it was re-released in January of 1997. Their second album, Songs to Fan the Flames of Discontent, was released in September of 96 and then re-released in May of 2004. 
There was a little bit of a lag in between albums, so they released an, a compilation of early EPs in September 97, and then that was re-released in 2002. And then they also released the demo compilation in September of 97. That has not been re-released. The following year, in October of 1998, this album, The Shape of Punk to Come, is released. It's been re-released a couple times if you want to pick up one of the re-releases, I suggest the 2010 re-release, which has an entire live album and a documentary DVD that goes along with it. Now I'm going to put I'm going to I'm going to say this right up front. There's going to be some swearing in this episode. It's not because we're a bunch of foul-mouthed uh, ne'er-do-wells. It's because this band uses some salty language in their song titles and the name of the documentary is the refused are fucking dead which is also the name of one of the songs on this album there you've been warned i'm pretty sure everybody listens to this podcast is over the age of 30 so i think they'll be able to handle it they might be driving in the car with a kid and might have to request earmuffs to be put on (laughs) the band broke up shortly after the release of this record and you can actually see the band break up on the dvd uh famously oh, they played really? a yeah fit well it's covered in the it's covered in the dvd they were playing a show in i believe it was a basement in virginia touring the united states and they got shut down by the cops and that was the last show the band ever played and they pretty much didn't want to talk to each other after that now it's not to say that they're not friends now and in fact well we'll get to this but dennis lixon uh, lead singer went on to form the International Noise, Noise Conspiracy, and they released five albums from 1999 to 2008. There were rumors of a refused reunion in 2010, and then again in 2011. And officially in January of 2012, the band reformed and announced they would be, p- be playing Coachella, which I believe just happened, and they'd be playing some more uh, festivals in the UK. Obviously, the band didn't absolutely hate each other. In fact, they said that breaking up was good for their personal relationships because they were able to put aside the difficulties that they had had as a band and just remain friends. So that is the history of Refused. We did get some Facebook feedback. We got uh, two comments. Nicola Bang, she said, one of my favorite albums of all time. Nicola is also better known as Shell from I Hate the 90s blog. One of the best blogs for music. If you're looking for music specifically from the 90s. Our friend and your co-worker, Mr. Jason Mowry, this is what he said. He said, yeah, it was pretty groundbreaking at the time. Looking back, I'm not 100%, I think he's going to say the word sure, but he forgot it. I'm not 100% sure why it was so groundbreaking, but it was, and I still love it. I already have tickets to see them in Chicago this summer. He thinks that maybe this album might be a little bit overrated when it comes to the groundbreaking (laughs) category jay are you like jason your co-worker not as mystified by this record now as you were back in 2000 or back in 1999 short answer yes however i agree that it is a good record i think what makes it unique is that uh like other records we've we've reviewed on the show it is challenging, but the thing that's challenging about it is not necessarily the music, it's the album. So what I mean is like individually, any of these, 
you know particular songs at least at least in now you know uh in the context of now many of these songs may not be that i guess challenging or groundbreaking or revolutionary it is the assembly of all of this different not only the the songs but all the accompaniment that goes with it so there's a lot of interludes there's a lot of extra bits and parts um there's some pieces of other ideas um and while the core of the material i don't think when you really break it down to where the songs are is that variant it's all pretty pretty much in the same ballpark there are there is enough uh, variation in breaks endings intros album tracks to sort of create this illusion of that it's you know really genre busting which is i think how you started the episode mm-hmm. but really if you if you get rid of that extra stuff you know you just have a good sort of a post hardcore kind of thing with um you know maybe some of the similarities that uh, like at the drive-in whether they they took um you know rage against the machine and sort of took it in a new direction um i i think there's a lot of similarities with that band here but you know in terms of the music being groundbreaking i'm not sure it is however i will say that there so i think that maybe the perception of that comes out of the album title i mean obviously if you name your record something like the shape of punk to come i mean you're making a pretty big statement there well i, I will chime in with it's a reference to an Ornette Coleman album, uh, The Shape of Jazz to Come from 1959. Right. Which was considered kind of a groundbreaking free jazz release when it came out. And people didn't really know how to react to some of what was being played. And I think that they probably were riffing off of that because... Sure. Of the of what they were doing with regards to like you mentioned those the breaks which are a lot of them are like techno and dance. Beat po- there's beat poetry. There's jazz. There's, there's stand up bass. They, they sample a Bo Diddley song at one point. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a part of in um, in track three the deadly rhythm. It breaks down into an upright bass and tom like jazz part. And it starts with a jazz intro, like right. lifted from a record, and then they go into their the band's part, 
and you know he's kind of playing drum wise there's some jazz influence on like how wh- how he's playing the the ride cymbal and stuff and i guess it sort of has a jazz feel to it from a rhythm standpoint but it's not really they don't go that far with it that's what i'm saying it's kind of a more context i guess that they try to put around these songs rather than the song themselves being that genre busting does that make sense you know what i mean yeah look i think any any album 10 years 12 years 14 years after it will show some cracks in in the sense that other bands will then take those ideas and they won't seem as original but i think that when this came out if you think about what punk was in 1998 mm-hmm. punk was green day and blink 182 to a lot sure. of people yep so making a punk statement with an album like this and I, and i know from reading that their first two albums which were much more in the traditional punk vein than this mm-hmm. record i think the thing that you know for me personally the thing that is kind of unique with this record is that he screams a lot and i don't really like bands that have a lot of screaming a lot of screaming in in the in the hardcore you know or metal sense but he's yep. able to do it he's able to scream melodically all the is, music is uh is still melodic underneath him even though yeah. it's heavy there's still a melodic sense about the the guitar riffs and and what's going on there you touched on we both touched on it about is this revolutionary and I sort of said, well, it isn't because, and from the sense of like, it didn't uh, create this huge movement after it came out that was significant from a um, popularity standpoint. However, there are several bands that I actually enjoy a lot right now that are out now and came after them that did draw influence from this. And it did create a little bit of a sub genre of new punk music that is that what we just talked about where it is sort of the screaming kind of vocal but underneath is pretty melodic uh sense of guitar and rip you know guitar and also like rhythmically um very very thick and almost um you know either hard rock or borderline i don't want to say dance but you know what i mean like a very strong rhythm whereas punk rock in the past had been maybe in terms of rhythm had been you know, pretty prototypical and not very adventurous in terms of rhythm. I think one thing that they sort of introduced was the idea of playing some of maybe what some of the post-hardcore bands were doing and bringing that into rock and being a little bit more, I guess, uh, jazz or pop influenced in terms of how they approach rhythm, hard rock influenced and, and kind of pushing things there and still being able to call it punk rock. So mm-hmm. um I think they did. They obviously influenced, a, you know, a lot of bands out of, from this record. But it just, I don't know, maybe this the album title sets up such a expectation of like they're going to be the next Nirvana or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's sort of they spawned a little subgenre unto themselves, but uh, I don't think they changed the face of music forever. I don't put a, a whole lot of, you know, thought into what they named the album in terms of what they thought they were doing, especially because. You know, you do realize that we named an album a new design for living, which is kind of almost along the same same lines. Well, I don't know. I mean, the shape of punk to come, it's like that'd be like naming your record. This is the what the future of rock and roll will sound like. Like that's a way more audacious than a new design for living. I mean, then where that was a personal statement about us. It wasn't like, you know, the way everybody's going to do everything. 
I don't know. And the fact that it's referencing a, a jazz record that sort of did that, I mean, I think they were conscious of it. I think they, you know, I think these are guys who had ego and, and were trying to, you know, to their credit, they were trying to do something different, which was. Which I don't know. Cool. I don't think that it was necessarily ego. I think they were trying to get a message out, and that's the lyrics. This is about as socialist a record as you're going to find in the last. This is what Rage Against the Machine should have done. In the early 2000s, this is what their record should have been, because yeah. from song one to song 12, everything is attacking the system, bringing down capitalism, attacking. You know, you've got track two, liberation frequencies. You got the the lyric which sticks out: "We want the airwaves back. We just don't, we don't just want airtime. We want all of the time, all of the time." All the airtime, all the time. All the airtime, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that line. I mean, it's about reclaiming media from yeah. corporate power. It's about... And that was in the late 90s, which it wasn't nearly as bad as it is now. Right. And then you have, like, uh, the in track four, Summer Holidays versus Punk Routine, about the idea of, you know, as you get older, do you sell out? And you do you accept the comforts that come with getting assimilated into regular society? And there's that the line in the chorus, rather be forgotten than remembered for giving in. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a band that's absolutely like screaming for somebody to like take up a cause against what they see are all these injustices. And it's the, you know, like I said, it's the album that Rage Against the Machine should have made, but just ended up disbanding and going away. And do you, doing, do you find it ironic that that song is maybe the most commercial sounding song on the record and probably the closest to what um, International Noise Conspiracy was like? Just, you know, it's a little bit more tempo. He doesn't scream on it. It's one of the few songs where he sings in sort of a almost normal rock voice. It's not overly, you know, in your face. Well, I think he was definitely growing as a singer. I mean, you hear International Noise Conspiracy. That album comes out like a year or two later. He's not screaming at all. And in this album, it's sort of split. He sings and he screams. I'm sure if you go back to earlier Refused albums, I'm sure there's a lot of screaming because he's coming from that punk side of it and that it's one of the the few songs though where he uh so some of the other songs yeah like liberation frequency he sings completely different but it's um everything's affected when he's singing that way 
and um, some of the other songs, like the last song, the kind of slow song, he sings differently, but it's like, you know, it, it's a very different, it's not a hard rock. It, what do you mean affected? Two. Like with effects, like delay and stuff? What do you mean like the way he's delivering well, like it? Liberation Frequency, he sing, when he's singing in a normal a falsetto or a normal voice, the it's just like lo-fi sounding guitar and like a drum, like a distant drum beat. And then when the real song comes in, he I screams. think that's meant to mimic the sound of like a rate, like an AM radio. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying that he. This is one of the. This is Summer Holidays is the only song where like there's no production effects going on. It just sounds like a normal mix song, and he's not screaming. This is, I think, the only song on the record that I really like that. There's no Probably. string. Like the last yeah. song, there's like acoustic guitar and strings, and it's like a ballad. Yeah. So he's singing like a, this hushed voice. I have to say, I, I do like the, I wouldn't like this on a lot of records, but they get away with it because they do it fairly quickly. But I do like the little interludes that they throw in here and there because it, it, it's so much of this is so pummeling. Yeah. Both Back up for a sec. The sound of this record is great. Mm-hmm. It's like fidelity wise, you can hear everything. There was a great, like every cymbal tap. You can hear mm-hmm. perfectly. And there was a uh, reading a review on Pitchfork of the re-release, and uh, the guy who reviewed it, t- uh, credit him, Tom Brynahan, he wrote, no band has ever mastered the ominous cymbal tap quite like Refused. <laughs> and I'm like, you couldn't do that if this didn't sound as perfect as this. I don't know of a record that we reviewed that sounds as perfect as this record does. I don't know if it's through compression or if it's through just they got really good sounds when they were recording, but you can hear everything all the time. I was going to, well, I'll bring it up now because you're, you're mentioning it. Yeah, it does. Ha- it has a unique sound to the record. Um, it, it's pretty dry, and um, but it's dry. Even though it's dry, it's still spread out. So mm-hmm. it has like a, has a lot of space to it, but it doesn't sound like it's not reverby. That makes sense. So there's yeah. like separation and there's distance between the instruments, but there's no uh, reverb to get to muddy things up, or, or there's very little reverb and, and effects of that in that way to to muddy up the sound. So yeah, you can definitely pick out all the instruments really clearly. It's a pretty unique sound. Like I, I can't think of many, especially in this style of band. So I'm of a fan of the the band the, the Bronx in a band called Gallows that really follow in this sort of sound. And their stuff's not produced like this at all. I mean, their stuff's produced like standard hard rock records, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Where everything gets, you know, a lot more compressed together. And I wanted to backtrack because you mentioned the single, New Noise. I think that's the, that's the song that people are probably going to know if they don't necessarily know this record. Uh, it was used, it's been used in a lot of like soundtracks and stuff and was used quite prominently in the movie Friday Night Lights towards like the big dramatic game at the end, which I kind of found ironic because they used a lot of music that was sort of relevant to the time. And then they threw this in mm-hmm. and this happens like five years before the, before the album came out or the, they, mm-hmm. the, the album came out five years after that movie was supposed to take place five or six years. Yeah. But a lot of bands have covered that song. Anthrax has covered that song. And another band that I, I had to include this because this is so funny. Crazy Town. Do you remember Crazy Town, Jay? <laughs> remember that horrible butterfly Unfor- song? Yeah, unfortunately, I do. Okay, this is what Dennis Lixon said of Crazy Town's version of New Noise. 
It's horrible. They should be shot. <laughs> Seriously, I hate that band. Did you ever listen to them? I don't think I don't like to talk shit about bands. There are more constructive ways to work, but sometimes you have to say you have to you have to say stop. Please stop this. If someone listened to The Shape of Punk to Come and really understood what we were thinking about, they wouldn't be in crazy town and they wouldn't think The Shape of Punk to Come was to add a DJ to a metal band. <laughs> if they really loved Refused, they missed everything that was important yeah. about the band. That warmed my heart when I read that. Because usually so people are so, uh, they're just happy. Oh, that's, that's nice to hear that they covered yeah. it. And that's how they're like, no, 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 no. I that's hate that not, band. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, these guys are not shy. Uh, obviously, that's why. That's one of the reasons why they didn't stay together. No, and there <laughs> they are, also, you can they also find. pretty opinionated, so. You can find the the re-release from 2010 pretty easily, easily, and you can hear the stories that they tell on the road about why things went downhill. And there are also plenty of interviews that you can find. Drowned in Sound and some other websites have interviews with the band, and they talk about how things were just miserable for them by the time that they were finishing this record. Listening back, I still found myself completely addicted to, say, the first 10 songs. Uh, when it got towards the end, I sort of started tuning out around tracks 11 or 12. I, what did you was, think of uh, 11, Tan, Tannhauser Derive, where it's the cello intro and the really dramatic, dark-sounding, you know, almost classical chamber music or something? It sounded like a band, um, you know, experimenting and... I don't know what their thought process was in putting that on the record. I wouldn't have minded it, you know. The record's a little bit long at that point, so I could have lived without it. I love the uh, I, I love the intro. Um, mm-hmm. It just when it when it gets to the song, it's something different, and it's kind of disappointing. So it's right. just really dramatic, almost like you could see it used in a movie, like Braveheart or something, as they're preparing to go to war. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's like this really like epic sounding cello and violin and these you know, big drums come in and then they sort of just switch over to the regular song. And they do that a, a couple times on this record. And it's, it's kind of going back to my original point where it's like the interludes are very separate from the music. And I kind of wish that they were, I think if they were more blended together, then it would be um, a lot more, you know, groundbreaking than maybe it, it in reality was. Thank you. 
but they're nice in terms of I think you you were sort of hit on it where with the vocal style and intensity of some of this stuff it does when you listen to it from an album standpoint it does give you some relief and some breath and some some breathing room yeah but <laughs> it, it lets your ears rest a little bit and it sort of actually kind of plays with different parts of your your ears and your listening you know parts of your brain and stuff so you can kind of you know go through three minutes of complete assault and then they switch into something that either either jazz or poetry or break beats or classical music and it sort of plays with a different part of your head and then they go back into being the band again which is kind of that 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 aspect of it is pretty interesting in terms of uh an album listen so for you is this still a worthy album or is this heading into better ep or decent single territory i'm guessing it's not decent single no i i think it's a worthy album i i think i've become more accustomed to the like i said a lot of the the bands that followed after them i'm actually big fans of and Mm -hmm. after you know spending a lot of time listening to them going back now and listening to this this you know sort of the screaming vocal doesn't bother me as much as it it weared on me pretty wore on me pretty fast when i you know first got this record back in the in the late 90s Um, i could only take a couple songs at a time or you know what have you but now it doesn't i'm more accustomed to it and i can actually appreciate as an album and i think if um if I think if you strip this down to an EP and really just took it back to my original point, just took it back to the core songs, I don't think it would be as interesting, you know? Um, no. I kind of appreciate what they're doing. I, you know, I still contend that my original point, and I think what um, Jason said as well, is that uh, it's not quite as groundbreaking as I perceived it to be when it came out, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not really good. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, you know, I listen to this multiple times getting ready it never got dull i every time i would put it on and even the first song worms of the senses faculties of the skull at like um there's a point with like five minutes to go where he screams Mm -hmm. let's go and the guitars just drive this riff over and over again it's just it's so heavy and it's so i I was just like i just want to i understand i want to go play football i want to go beat the (laughs) shit out of somebody i want to (laughs) go You know what I mean? Like I was so yeah, pumped yeah, up yeah. and I'm like at work at a copy machine. And I'm like, give me something to hit. Yeah. So it's probably not what I should have been uh, reacting to. I should have been like, let's go over, t- let's go overthrow a bank. But, <laughs> um, rather than- yeah, that, that song is actually an example. And they did a couple others where, uh, they actually mixed the electronics in with, you know, the regular song. It's not like an, an mm-hmm. extra piece or whatever. That part is probably groundbreaking. I'm not quite sure that many other bands that would call themselves punk were, uh, were trying that kind of thing at that time. And they do it in a way that's really cool. It's not uh, yeah, like Crazy Town just throwing a DJ over top of a shitty <laughs> no. pop song. This so, is the uh, anti-Crazy Town. Right. <laughs> they actually do that at, that, that that kind of a combination of elements pretty well. I mean, so it, It's almost seamless. Like You don't even quite know for sure that that's what they're doing you have to listen really close you're like oh, okay there's i think there's a you know there's a layered uh, uh electronic beat in there or something
You know, another thing that they do on here, and I don't know if you picked up on this, um, a song, like, uh, protest song, 68, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and a couple other spots. I think Shape of Punk to Come, maybe, too. They, I think they're constructing drum beats out of, like, tape loops or something, or sequencer loops, so well, they're, like, really performed, but they're constructed out of post. Here's what I, I know about, a little bit about this record. From what I have read... A lot of this was recorded in parts, and then they actually put it together, like snipped literally. Like, uh, let's take the chorus of this song and the and the mm-hmm. verse of this and put them together. Or they had it like we've got this part here and this part here. Let's sort of snip them together. And there was a lot of editing that went on in the making of this record, which is why I think the the techno and the dance music actually make sense because it's so chopped up. And it's so not mechanical, but you're able to move things around a lot easier. There's some parts where that's pretty obvious where they even like put a smash a chorus and a verse together. Now that you said it, like you can hear the breaks. I just wasn't sure if it was like intentional, you know, but it, it, it from what you're saying, if, if they record in bits and parts, it's probably just an artifact of cramping things together. To sing, you must first open your mouth. You must have pair of lungs it's not necessary to have an accordion or a guitar there's such a thing instead i want to sing then this is the song i'm singing I'm typically more of like I want to hear a real drummer play real drums and I just want you to record it but they actually do some stuff on here especially drum wise um, using looping or sequencing or whatever and they create some patterns that you couldn't that, that a drummer just wouldn't play yeah you know, they wouldn't think to, to play so and from that aspect I enjoy the creativity of doing it that way uh, on some choice pieces of uh, bits and parts on this album so you mentioned some bands uh, the Bronx and Gallows as being bands that are current bands that people might be aware of that mm-hmm. they would like. Were there other bands that you thought of? Um, the old Thrice stuff um, was sort of like this. There's a band called uh, Alex is on Fire that sounds like this. Obviously, they have to drop in. Yes. I guess, I guess they're current again. <laughs> <laughs> There's a band called Cancer Bats that I, I don't really love. They're They're a little bit more abrasive, but they're sort of in this... I guess they probably uh, are fans of this band as well. Um, they don't have some of the more like elements musically, but three older bands that I think were more influences on Refuse than necessarily are uh, modern bands that people would be aware of are Nation of Ulysses, Dillinger Escape Plan, and Born Against. When mm-hmm. I was reading a lot about this band, those three bands came up as 
this is where Refused was coming from. And those mm-hmm. are more, uh, if you're into punk and, and especially the 80s underground stuff, that's going to be you know bands that you're going to know. An interesting band that was a, a fan of the refu- of Refuse that I don't know that you're necessarily going to love this band. I, Paramore, Jay. They quoted Refused in their song Born for This, which is on their 2007 album Riot. Mm-hmm. It's We Want the Airwaves Back is in this in that song and they uh the lead singer Haley williams said that they basically wrote the song around that line really which song born for this really i love that album i guess i never picked up on that's funny i I never picked on that they were referencing that i sort of didn't put the two pieces together i love their first well i guess all three of their current albums i'm not that's a band that uh I guess you could hear it like from a uh, rhythm standpoint and a guitar standpoint. I think those two guys are the ones that left the band. Mm-hmm. So be, I don't think you're going to hear as much refused influence as that band goes forward. But yeah, I love I love that band. Yeah, That's I had the same thing. things in terms listen. of uh, in terms of at the drive-in. But other than that, I, I don't really listen to a lot of bands that I think are influenced by refused. This is sort of one, an oddball for me. And, so. I, and I would say most Paramore fans are not. <laughs> I'm not gonna get this record, but right. some might. I mean, some might that appreciate the, the actually that the musicianship that's in that band that maybe isn't. Uh, not everybody who's a fan of that band quite gets that. You know, they're right. sort of more in the pop side of them. But uh, you know, if you're if you are a Paramore fan and looking for a little bit of a challenge, well, this might be a good place to start. Also, if you're a fan of Noam Chomsky or Howard Zinn, you probably <laughs> like this band. So, oh, oh, it's so funny that, yeah, the socialist aspects of it is just—I don't know—to think it it happened uh, pre-Bush era America is pretty crazy. Yeah, that's it, folks. We have tackled, refused, and we tell you it's a good album. You should check it out. Uh, head to our website. You can click through our Amazon links, and you can buy this record at amazon and make sure if you enjoyed this episode to please head over to itunes and leave us some positive feedback jay thanks for joining me once again thanks for having me i am always happy to have you on (laughs) thanks for not kicking me out sure that's not a problem and we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening. Back, back, back.